Well, good morning, church family. Uh, I'm Jacob Yarbrough, and I serve here as uh, one of the elders at Calvary Bible Church. And for our scripture reading today, we're going to be reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'll be reading Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Follow along with me as I, as I read. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight when a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one tells what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil does not deliver those who practice it. All this I've seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt. So then, I have seen the wicked buried, those who used to go in and out from the holy place, and they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life, still I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him openly. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow because he does not fear God. This is futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say that this too is futility. So I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry, and this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life which God has given him under the sun. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night. And I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun, even though man should seek laboriously. He will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. And thus, thus says the Lord at the reading of his word. Thank you, Jacob. There's just a lot of really practical wisdom in there. Nothing real new, but a good reminder. I would like to begin this morning with three statements. The Bible is truth, God is real, and Jesus is Savior. And all God's people say. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of Ecclesiastes or just keep it open. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Today we'll be going from verses 1 
through 17. Today we are in our 10th week of a 14-week series walking verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Ecclesiastes. And today Solomon, what what is Solomon's concern in this book? It is for life down under the sun. How can we have a good life in our 80 years or 60 years that God has ordained for us? That is his Task, And it would make total sense to me that Solomon discusses the topic he does today. Solomon unpacks for us authority, respecting earthly authority and heavenly authority. Okay. Um, Allow me to ask you the question. How many of you have ever had a problem with authority? Okay. Guess what? That makes you normal. Okay. <laughs> if I, as I stand to think about it, true or false, God has ordained every person in authority. True. True or false, life is better if you submit to authority than resist it. It's true. As I thought about authority, both earthly and heavenly authority, five different categories for it came to mind. There is, of course, number one, divine authority, that God is sovereign, He is in control, that we are to fear the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number two, that there is corporate authority. Yeah, you have a boss, most likely, or you have a teacher or principal in school. Now, how many of you have ever seen somebody get into trouble for arguing with their boss? Yeah, I fired a guy one time because he screamed and yelled at me. Um, don't worry, James. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Number three, there's family authority. If you live under your parents' roof, then they probably have authority over you. Now, how many of you have ever had a conflict with a parent or a child? Okay, parents of teenagers in the room, I'm sorry. Um, I'll be there one day. I have three little girls. Pity me. I love them. Number four, we have government authority. We won't talk about that. Here soon we will. Uh, Number five, we have ecclesiological authority. That if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a Christian, that you live under the authority of God and under the authority of elders. And as I look at each of the five categories... I come to the conclusion that life is simply better if we respect authority rather than resist it. I've seen people in each category balk against authority and it never ends well. I've seen people I work with in the past yell and scream at their boss and it did not end well. I've seen people rebel against God. There are people in my own family that turned their back to the Lord, that sought the devices and the pleasures and the influences of the world. And guess what happened? The Lord brought them home prematurely. I've seen people rebel against the government, and they went to jail. I've seen people in ministry, pastors of churches, talk bad about the elders in public, and it did not end well. I've seen people in church meetings stand up and call the elders of the church a bunch of liars. It did not end well. Life is simply better if we respect authority rather than resist it. If you obey authority, both heavenly and earthly, you will have peace. I 
I paused for two reasons. Reason number one, to let that thought sink in, and reason number two, to figure out if I really want to go down this rabbit hole. Um, I've been nervous about this one all week. Um, Can I just really challenge our way of thinking? Where do you live? You live, hopefully you think that you live in America. We in America have a paradigm issue. We see the world, listen to me, we think as Americans that it is almost noble to rebel against authority. And why do I say that? Because how was our country founded by a bunch of men rebelling against the king that was 3,000 miles away? And we call them what? We call them patriots. We in America have a paradigm issue that a, a disobeying or rejecting or disrespecting authority as noble Especially our government, okay? (laughs) This is not politics. I won't go down this rabbit hole. But fortunately, you live in America where you have a vote and you have the freedom to speak out against authority. But at the end of the day, we should not coup d'etat the government. We in America have a paradigm that rebelling against authority is a noble cause. But who has placed The leaders in our lives. Romans chapter 13 verse 1. Today Solomon talks about respecting heavenly and earthly authority. And why does he do that? I've already mentioned that Solomon's concern is for life down here. Life under the sun. How can we have a peaceful, joyful life in our toil down under the sun? And so it makes sense that Solomon unpacks this topic for us today. So if you have your text, notice Ecclesiastes chapter 8. It really breaks down, down into two main parts. You have part 1 discusses respecting earthly authority, verses 1 through 9. And part 2 says respecting heavenly authority, verses 10 through 17. That is kind of the plan for today. But let us quickly set the stage for our discussion this morning. The book of Ecclesiastes, that word Ecclesiastes, comes from the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name for this book, which is Kohelet. You might recognize that word. The word Hebrew word Kohelet means preacher or the one who assembles or calls together. Now, who is Kohelet? Who is this na- book named after? Kohelet is the preacher. He is the main character in this book. There are two characters in the book of Ecclesiastes. First off, the the Kohelet, the preacher, is introduced in verse 2 of chapter 1, and he talks and he talks and he talks and he talks to the end of chapter 12, verse 9, and then at the end of the book, the author, the second character, introduces himself, and he concludes the book as a whole. And Kohelet, Solomon's purpose purpose is to talk about life down here. How can we have a good life? Eternal life and eternal rewards, that is a topic for another day. He's just talking about here, now, in Huntsville, Alabama, the 37 years you have lived, how can you have a good life? And there are five key principles. And I remind you of these every single week. Why? Because repetition is theological glue. If you hang on to these five principles, you know the book of Ecclesiastes for the rest of your life. Embrace the fact that, number one, that life is short. You will wake up one day and be 50. You will wake up one day and be 40. 
I just celebrated my brother-in-law's 40th birthday, and I'm 37. I'm almost there. How did that happen? How did Bren become six years old? She was just tearing up the house, you know, as a three-year-old. Life is simply short. And remember that word vanity, right? It doesn't mean meaningless. It means that life is a vapor. It is enigmatic. Life is, seems to be full, but then disappears the next. How do we have a good life? Number one, we embrace that life is short. Number two, what? That life is unfair. Thank you that there is just injustice and unfairness in the world. It's true. If you deny it, then you haven't experienced anything terrible yet. Okay. Number three, because life is short, because life is unfair, that we are to enjoy God's blessings. We are to eat, drink, and be merry. The word merry means to be joyful or cheerful. It is mentioned six times in this book, and the fourth time is mentioned in our passage today. Can I just ask you a question? I've asked you this before, but I'm going to pause. The scripture tells us to eat, drink, and to be merry, to enjoy what God has gifted to us under the sun. What has God blessed you with? Can I, can I ask you that and we not be too awkward and stand in here in silence? Um, just shout at me. What has God blessed you with in life under the sun? Family. Family. Good. Great husband. Good. Good parents. Good. What else? What's that? Church home. Amen. What else? What's that? Yeah. What else? Amazing friends. friends. What else? Health. What? What? Wife and kids. Good answer, Jason. (laughs) All right. Good answer. That's right. I mean, guess what? God has blessed you with material matters. That is a good thing. Let's not run from that. Let's not worship those things. But we live in America. We live in the richest nation the world has ever known. That is a blessing in and of itself. And we are to enjoy what God has given to us. Principle number four is that we are to fear God. Now, we have a bad understanding of fear. We think fear is bad, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And principle number five, that we are to keep God's commandments, that we are to keep the instructions that we have in the book called the Bible. And the Bible itself, one preacher, the book of Ecclesiastes itself outlines into three main sections, as one preacher has it. Chapters one through four is the caution on life. Five through seven is the correction on life, correcting our view of money, on God, on pain, on temptation, on yourself, that you're not as good as you probably think you are. And chapters 8 through 12 is counsel, wisdom in lieu of a fallen world. And today, Solomon counsels us on authority. How do we respect authority? That is the question we're answering today. How we respect earthly authority is in verses 1 through 9, and how we respect heavenly authority is in verses 10 through 17. Notice All that to set up the stage in verse 1 of chapter 8. Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him, and causes his stern face to beam. This statement is just truth. It is fact. A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. This book was written 3,000 years ago, and it is still practical today. Why? Because God, through Solomon, wrote it. 
Notice in your text with me, it says, causes his stern face to be. And the word stern in the Hebrew is the word oz. It means strength. That a man who is wise has strength in his face. Then notice, in his face, it causes his face to beam. I, cause, I think that means two things. That him in, in and of himself, his countenance, that he has joy, that he is cheerful, and that his wisdom and his cheerfulness beams to other people. Real life. How many of you have ever known a wise person? What is their countenance? They beam. What do you do when they speak? You sit up on the front of your chair and you absorb every word that they have for you. That is the influence of wisdom. A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his face to be strength and to beam to all those around him. That is just truth. One scholar says this, you can see the uniqueness of a wise man by his face. Because he understands what's happening to him. There's illumination there, a peace and a joy. He's actually cheerful. Which will cause him to stand out from the crowd like a flagpole. Wisdom illumines, it creates strength and discernment, it creates Joy and influences other people. We've all known wise people and their countenance glows. But how many of you have also known a fool? (laughs) Okay. Just go on Facebook and feel good about your life. Okay. Sorry. That's what Byron does. Okay. What's their countenance like? Stress. Worry. Woe is me. Right? A wise person glows. Why? Because they see the big picture. They can look past the immediate worry. They can see the long term. And they have the character to be kind. Can I just give you a tip? How can we grow in wisdom? How many of you want, you don't have to answer this question, but how many of you want to be wise? How many of you want to be the person that when you speak, people sit on the front of their chair just to see what you have to say? How can you grow in wisdom? Two main ways. Get your nose in the book. That this is the wisdom from God. A wise man has a worn out Bible. But number two, hang out with wise people. Because here, the wise man's face beams to those around him. Become wise by osmosis. There is safety in a multitude of advisors. Can I just speak some real practical life? When I find a wise person, guess what I do? I befriend them. They become my buddy, okay? Why? Because I know that I will acquire wisdom. Sometimes the wisest people are called lawyers and accountants, okay? And you pay them for their counsel, and you should if you need them. Put people around you that are wise. A wise man's face beams to all those around them. And then notice in verses 2 through 9, it talks about earthly authority. Verses 2 and 3, it is the what, the why, and the how of earthly authority. Verse 2, I say, keep the command of the king. So how, or 
how do we obey earthly authority? Keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since the word of the king is authoritative, he who who will say to him, what are you doing? What should we do with earthly authority? We should obey. Keep the command of the king. The, word, the Hebrew word here is Shema, which means to obey. We should respect and obey earthly authority. Can I just pause off script for just a second? If you're constantly questioning your boss, and constantly questioning people in authority, you're constantly talking down to them and gossiping about them in corners, guess what you're probably not doing? Notice the why. Why should we obey? Because God has placed in there. Because of the oath before God. Keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. In other words, what? Because you obey God, because you serve him, because you fear him, you should obey and respect and keep the commands of the people that God has ordained in leadership. If you obey God, you obey his people. But how do we obey earthly authority? Verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave him. What does that mean? Be humble and not hasty when you're in your boss's office. When you're talking to your parents and you're a child. Be humble and not hasty. Number two, notice in verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. Don't Join in a mutiny against earthly authority. That means government. That means your boss. That means your parents if you live under their roof. That means ecclesiological if you're a person that goes to church here. Do not join in a mutiny. But I, can I, um, man, uh, can I just take that a step further? Man, thin ice today. Uh, I'll get it. All hate mail goes to James at cbchsv.org. Um, don't talk bad about your boss in private. Don't talk bad about your parents in private. Don't talk bad about the elders of the church in private or public. Do not join, notice that, do not join in the evil matter. Do not rally people to your cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. He is in charge. You can question him you can gossip him but he can do what he wants because why god has placed him there this is truth verse four since the word of the king is authoritative who will say to him what are you doing number three be obedient to their commands be like nehemiah if you haven't read the book of nehemiah in a while i encourage you to do so I read it on a Bible app while I was driving. If you do not know the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the most powerful man in the world. And as the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah was the most trusted advisor. He would taste the wine before the king partook to make sure it wasn't poisoned because Nehemiah would be the first victim. But Nehemiah, if you read the story, it is so profound because Nehemiah makes his request known to the king and the king in authority responds in kind. Why? Because Nehemiah is humble. He does not come to the king making demands. It does not come with pride. He comes out of respect and with humility. We should be humble 
speak highly of authority and keep their commands. If you have your notes, how do you respect earthly authority? With humility. With humility. Obey them because God has placed them there, verse 2, by being humble in their presence. Speak well of them in private and keep their commands. When you rebel against authority, whatever that is, whether it's government, whether it's a boss, whether it's your parents, if you live in their home, what are you really doing? You are disobeying and you're rebelling against the Lord. Why? Because the Lord has placed them there. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to their governing authorities for their is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Life is better if you listen to your boss than if you mutiny against them. Let me give you a tip. And for what it's worth, I haven't lived that long. So, But biblically speaking, I'm just going to give you a tip. If you are an employee, be like Nehemiah, be humble in your boss's presence. But if you are a leader, be humble too. Because you don't know everything. You can't control everything. I like to um, watch really boring documentaries. And my wife is befuddled on all the weird things I watch on documentaries. And one of the things I love to watch are interviews of leaders. And a good leader, even, even corporate America has this thing, that a good leader has humility. They listen to the people around them. They don't think they know it all. If you are a leader, listen, if you are here today, you are probably leading somebody and you are following somebody. That is just the truth. Act with humility. Listen. Be humble. Listen to what wise people say. Notice verse 5 and 6 of chapter 8. Notice the result of obeying earthly authority, verse 5. He who keeps a royal command experiences no, say that word with me, trouble. For a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. He knows how to obey. He knows how to make his request known. Verse 6, for there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble. He has peace. If you obey Authority, it results in peace if you have your notes. When you were a child and your parents told you to go clean your room, and if you took all of your stuff, if you were like me and you didn't want to clean, and you took all of your stuff and threw it underneath your bed, right after that, does that kid have peace? He is paranoid, okay, that his parents will walk in and find that he disobeyed their commands. When I was a child... um, my mother would cook me grilled, grilled cheese sandwiches. Any other moms cook grilled cheese sandwiches in the room? She made a mean grilled cheese, but this one in particular was a little brown on top, okay? And uh, she was busy with five children. I don't blame her whatsoever. Um, and she, she put this before this eight-year-old kid. And this eight-year-old kid, all he did was he went like this, and he saw the burnt sandwich And what did he probably do? He just took it and he threw it in the trash can. And his mother walked by him like a good mom and said, "Uh, Byron, did you eat that grilled cheese? 
And I said, yes. <laughs> right. So guess what I'm thinking the whole time? I have no peace. And my mom went over to the trash can and saw that grilled cheese in there. And guess what I got? I got the spatula. Okay. When you obey your bosses, when you listen to your governing authorities, when you listen to the elders of the church, when you do not gossip about them, when you obey them, you will have peace. Can I just speak? If your life is in constant turmoil, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, are you listening and do you live with humility? Can I just also speak? If your life is full of trials and pain, sometimes that's the injustice of life under the sun, but sometimes that's the discipline of the Lord. The Lord chastens whom he loves. If your life is full of trials, maybe that is the injustice of life under the sun, but maybe that is God trying to get your attention. But why should leaders and followers be humble? Why should both act with humility? Verse 7, if no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the death day of death. What in the world? Why should we act with humility? Because we do not control anything. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You can't control things. Any control freaks in the room, uh, don't nudge. How do we respect earthly authority? We obey them. Because God placed them there by being humble in their presence, speak well of them in private, keep their commands, and it results in a life of peace. Um, I, let me just pause real quick, and I know the time is getting away from me. It's 1140, and I'm halfway home, um, and I will end on time, hopefully. Um, I just really thought about life this week. I thought about the earthly commands and the earthly, the earthly authority that I've had in my life. And I've had some good bosses and some not so good ones. I've had good people in authority and some people not. And I thought about myself, why do I resist obeying some and are completely open to obeying others? I, I come down with three things. Sometimes the reason I want to not obey authority is because of pride. How many of you have ever said this? I could do it better. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. I could do it better. What is that in you? That's called pride. Number two, I thought about maybe I just lack trusting them. Maybe I just don't want to listen to them. Maybe I don't want to be vulnerable. But number three, sometimes the reason we don't listen to authority is because of a wound. Maybe a leader or a boss in the past hurt us and our new boss is new. He has nothing to do with that. But because we were mistreated before, we assume that on the new person. How do we respect earthly authority with humility? But then Solomon turns the page. He then turns the discussion to heavenly authority, verses 10 through 17, the end of the chapter. And notice it's kind of hidden in verse 10. But he talks about people who obey the Lord. What are they like? So then I have seen the wicked buried. Who are the wicked? Those who used to go in and out of the holy place. 
And they are soon forgotten in the city where they did thus. This too is futility. How do we respect heavenly authority with holiness? With purity? Kohelet here sees the wicked buried. That they are punished. And what are the wicked? The wicked walk into the holy place without any fear of the Lord and walk out just the same. They are whitewashed tombs. They look good on the outside, but on the inside inside they remain completely unchanged. No fear of the Lord. No thought to the purity and the holiness in their life. No thought to the justice and sovereignty of God. And they walk out. Where is the temple of God now? He's talking about the temple in Jerusalem, but where is the temple now? We are the temple. We have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you think the Lord cares about our internal world, about our internal holiness? Notice verse 11, but why do we not care? Why do we push holiness and purity aside? Verse 11, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed quickly, therefore the hearts of the sons of men among them are given fully to do evil. Why do people not fear God? Because what? Judgment is delayed. If you've ever stolen a pack of bubble gum from a gas station and got away with it, what do you want to do again? Judgment is delayed. It will eventually come to pass. That is why people sin and sin have no fear of the Lord. Because they think that judgment will never come. But who is God? Psalm 103, He is compassionate, abounding in loving kindness. But who else is He? We cannot, listen, we cannot understand the love of God without the justice of God. We can't understand the love of the Lord without a profound understanding that God despises sin. In fact, God despises sin so much that he sent his son to pay for it. Can I just speak to the Christians in the room? We here, good Christians, man, I'm stepping on toes today, thin ice, all right. Good Christians, where do we sin? We don't sin on Facebook, okay? Okay, if they do, then those are the foolish people, all right? Those are the people we feel good about our lives, okay? We don't sin in public. We sin in private. We sin in the places that we feel no one else will see. But what? God is sovereign. And He cares. He cares enough to chasten those whom He loves. I've seen, I shared this back in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, some of this. I have seen God's discipline in real life. Because God cares about our holiness. He cares about our purity. He just does. I've seen men that oppose the will of God that dropped dead. I've seen men that oppose the will of God got sick. And then they didn't repent and return to the Lord, and then they died. I've seen men turn their back on the Lord who sought the world, and they died. I've seen men rebel against their earthly bosses, and they were fired. God cares about our sin. He calls the person in verse 10 wicked. And the Lord punishes this man by burying him. Notice verse 12. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and may lengthen his life... 
What does he say? Still, I know that it will be well for those who fear God. Don't worry about the people in the world that are evil, that show off their unrighteousness. Still, I know that it will be well for those who fear God, who fear him. You worry about yourself. Verse 13. But it will not be well for the evil man, and he will not lengthen his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. The wicked may get away with it. They may appear to have a good life, a better life than yours, but the being above the sun cares, and the rooster with the chickens will come home to roost. Sorry, I messed that phrase up. One scholar says this, A servant of God knows that he lives in a fallen world where bad men often escape punishment. Nevertheless, the servant of God looks for the enduring approval of his Lord, for this is the purpose of the living. The wicked may sin massively a hundred times over, and yet live a long life. The scholar goes on. This is admittedly puzzling if God is good and just and truly governs the universe. Yet the preacher resists the conclusion that wickedness pays. He continues to affirm that it will go better with the person who fears God than the person who does not, that the life of the wicked is fleeting and insubstantial and will not last long. God cares about our internal world. How do we respond to earthly authority with humility? How do we respond to heavenly authority with holiness? With holiness. 1 Peter 1. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth. Verse 14. Principle number two of holiness is unfolded. Verse 14. There is futility which is done on earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I say this too is futility. Verse 14 unpacks what? The injustice and unfairness of life. That bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. But that's okay. Why? Because God is sovereign, He is love, and He is just. He will make it right in the end. Verse 15. So then, because life is unfair, because there is wicked and injustice in all the world, so I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except what? For time, to eat and to drink and to be cheerful. And this will stand by him in his toils throughout the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. Since bad things happen to good people, enjoy your life. Today. Not tomorrow. Enjoy your work even if it drives you bonkers. Enjoy your children because they do drive you bonkers, okay? Enjoy your spouse. Can I just ask you the question? I've asked you this before. What are some simple things to enjoy in life? Coffee. A good book. 
I asked you this earlier in this sermon. Your spouse, your job, your possessions, don't worship them. You have something to enjoy in your life. I promise you. Why? Because God is a good God who gives His children good things. You have things to enjoy. Because you don't know tomorrow. Because something bad might happen to you. Enjoy your life. Eat, drink, and be merry. How do you respect God with holiness? Be holy and pure if you have your notes. Respect Him in purity. Verse 10, let God worry about the wickedness in the world. Enjoy His blessings now. And then in verse 16, when I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun, even though man should seek laboriously, he does not discover, and though the wise man should say, I know he cannot discover what in the world is going on. What is Solomon saying? Except that you don't know everything and accept the fact that you can't control everything. Let God handle it. Let God handle it. Let it go. You are human, I hope so, at least. Um, we haven't gotten to that age yet. You are human. I promise you that there is something in your life that you're holding on to. And you are trying to control the things around you to make you feel safe, to make you feel justified, to make you feel good. Just let it go. Accept that you can't know and do everything. Before I close, I have some questions on the back of your note sheet if you want to kind of process this sermon a little bit more this week afterwards. Um, but I think oftentimes... Our fear of God, the way we view our internal holiness, depends on how we view God. How does my view of God control my desire to be holy? How do you view God? Typically, people identify or relate to one person of the Godhead. When you think of God, you don't think of the triune nature of God, typically, because it doesn't make any sense, because you're human, and he's infinite, it's three in one. What in the world did I just say? But typically, when you think of God, you think of God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit. And based on how you think of God, it controls whether you fear the Lord or whether you really inhabit holiness. I'll give you an example. When I think of God, I think of the Father. A God who is good. A God who is sovereign, who is pure, who loves me, who is just. But I also think of the Father as a man that is authoritarian and probably aloof. And what that does is it causes me to behave in a certain way. I exhibit internal holiness in a certain way because of that. How do you view God? Do you view Him as the Father, the Son, or the Spirit? And how does that dictate your fear and your internal holiness? We respect 
earthly authority with humility and respect heavenly authority with holiness. Before I close, just real quickly, I know I'm out of time. Um, I share the gospel every week. And why do I do that? I don't do it just to make myself feel better. I do it just in case this is the only time you ever come to Calvary Bible Church that you would have at one moment in time heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news. That Jesus, that God the Father sent his son into the world to die for our sin. And that he bought your soul in full by his blood. And that through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, that your sins, past, present, and future have all been forgiven because he is a good God who loves you. How do you become a Christian? First off, you acknowledge that you are a sinner, that you need the Lord. You will not understand why to believe in God if you do not understand your sin and your brokenness. That you and I make mistakes and because of that we should recognize that we are sin, that we should repent from our sin. And number two, we should believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. And then number three, that we should be changed. A unchanged Christian is not a Christian. That's why I believe many Christians that fill churches today aren't Christians at all. Because they know the truth, but they have never believed the truth. There is a difference. You could even be quizzed after church today. Somebody could come up to you in the parking lot and say, what is the gospel? And you could use, I acknowledge that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus Christ and change your life. You could have the right answer to the test and you might not be saved. You might be walking up to the gates of heaven thinking because you knew some information that you were going to enter into heaven's gates. And the Lord is going to say, behold, I never knew you. If you've never been changed by God, then you might not be a Christian. Believe in him and you shall be saved pray with me father thank you for this morning and it's just a and to be honest with you lord ecclesiastes chapter 8 is just a healthy reminder of life of the authority that you have ordained in our lives and the authority that you have in our lives lord may we live our lives as followers and as leaders with humility may we realize that we don't know and control everything Lord, may we be humble towards our bosses. May we be humble towards our parents. And Lord, I pray most importantly that we would be holy in our lives. That we would examine the closets. That we would examine our thoughts and our heart and our emotions and our will and our actions. And Lord, that we would not be like the man in verse 10, but that we would come before you and be holy and pure. Before I close, Lord, I leave my friends with this in Psalm 103. Blessed, blessed the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who pardons all of our sin, who redeems our life from the pit, who satisfies our years with good things. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgment for all who are oppressed. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. Lord, that is who you are. We thank you for grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are in control. And I lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen.